I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On the Jordan Harbinger Show, you'll hear amazing stories from people that have lived them, from spies to CEOs, even an undercover agent who infiltrated the Gambino crime family. You're about to hear a preview of the Jordan Harbinger Show with Jack Garcia, who did just that. My career was 24 out of 26 years, was solely dedicated working on the cover. I walk in, I'm in the bar. Now there's a barmaid there, good looking young lady. She serving me drink. Hey, what would you like? I usually my drink was give me a kettle, one martini, three olives, glass of water on the side. I finish the drink. The guys come in. I'm gonna go, go in my pocket, take out the big wad of money. Bam! I give her a hundred dollars. If you're with the mob, I say, hey Jordan, you're on record with us. That means we protect you. Nobody could shake you down. We could shake you down, but you're on record with us. For more on how Jack became so trusted in the highest levels of the Gambino organization, check out episode 392 of The Jordan Harbinger Show. This is The Jesse Kelly Show. It is the Jesse Kelly Show on a Friday in Ask Dr. Jesse Friday and the final day for a fresh Jesse Kelly Show in this specific format. I'm so excited for today. You have so many great questions. You have questions about the new show? 
You have questions about the trail of tears, how you should think of things like that. If you are an Indian, we have a question from uh, an Indian family. We have questions about RVs, Joe Biden. Should you send your kid to college in television commercials? We have cheeseburger questions. It is all over the map today, and it's going to be a blast of a show for anyone confused or who has missed the news, because I realized I had some emails saying, I missed the news. What's the news? Don't panic. When I say last show in this format, what I mean is we did make our big announcement. The show... Apparently took off. You are insane, but apparently the show took off. Uh, Premier Networks, by a mile, the largest syndicator in the United States of America, has signed the show and has put the Jesse Kelly show on its prime time lineup. I mean, the lineup is the Glenn Beck show, Clay Travis and Buck Sexton, Sean Hannity, and then me. (laughs) I know, it's ridiculous. On that show launches on June 28th because we have so much work to do just with studio stuff, bunch of boring technical stuff. I'm not going to bother you with. We have so much work to do between then and now. This is the last show in this format. I have questions all over the place like this one from an email Dear Jesse. How can we listen to your new show? Will it be podcasted? I need the whole show, so on and so forth. For one, how do you listen? Well, I'll put it to you this way. I am currently syndicated, which means the show is nationwide. But it's 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 on, I think, 15, 15 stations maybe. It's about to be over 200. How you listen is this. It's it's, I don't want to say, well, it's going to be on locally somewhere. It's very likely you're going to be able to pick it up on the dial. It's going to be 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern, live in most markets across the country, 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern. But if you miss it, yes, they are still going to podcast it. As easy as it's been for you to access the show now, that's only going to get easier, and that's really hitting home for me, I, I mean – working with a major company like Premier, how much, just how easy they make everything for you. Everything will be at a touch of a button, and I'll let you, I'll keep you updated on all that. Don't worry. Don't worry at all. Now, let's get to our history segment because, one, I love this story, and, two, I need to get through it because there are questions, like, I have to answer today. There are questions I have to get to. It's going to be a blast of a day. Oh, one more thing. You remember that lieutenant governor of North Carolina? You remember the guy who who blew the roof off the place when he gave this speech? What was it, uh, last week, Chris? I think it was last week when he gave this speech. During 9-11, people running away from those burning buildings, running away in horror. We saw policemen and firemen running to those buildings, basically running to their deaths to go help others because they saw trouble and they knew that they were needed. That's got to be us in this day right here. We've got to run to the trouble, folks. And what is the trouble? The trouble is the Biden administration that is seeking to turn this country into a socialist hellhole. The trouble is Antifa that wants to run Yes, that lieutenant governor that had us all coming out of our chairs, that guy's coming on the show in an hour and a half. And I just, look, you know, you know, before I get to the history thing, What's the thing I hate the most? What do I hate the most? 
drawing attention to myself or bragging about myself. What, Chris? I do want to point out, though, that the day we played the audio, I looked right at Jewish producer Chris, and I said, Chris, get that guy on the show. You heard me say it on the air. And that guy's coming on the show. This, this, Chris, I'm drunk with power, okay? I'm drunk with power. Have we? Should we tell him who our first guest is on the show on 628? We have to tell him, right? Here, you know what? I just made an executive decision. I already know who the first guest on my show is going to be on June 28th on the new launch. I think it would be unfair to treat the current Jesse Kelly show audience to anything else than giving them a sneak peek that no one else will know about until right before it. I'll tell you what. Second hour. The beginning of the second hour of this show, I'm going to tell you who the first guest is on the new show's launch. It's somebody you've heard of, and it's somebody you're going to enjoy. Buckle up for that. Chris, write it down so I don't forget it. Start of the second hour, I will tell you who that guest is going to be on the 28th. Now to our story. Europe is a messy place. And for the life of me, I can't figure out why it's such a messy place. And when I say messy, I mean they're just always fighting. They're always at each other's throats. It's constant. Now, I, I'm, I'm not one of these anti-Europeans either. The chicks are hot. The food's good. The beer's delicious. It's fine. But they're always fighting. I do see why George Washington put specifically in his farewell address, we don't get involved in Europe's wars. They're always in a war with somebody. We're not getting involved in that. So let's talk about some of their wars. Mainly, let's go to World War I. No, it's not a World War I story today. But let's go to the completion of World War I. Now, specifically, let's focus on Poland, which wasn't really a thing during World War I. Now, the Polish people were very much a thing. And this is one of the things, as you know, everyone knows I'm a Polish fan. I love Polish people. I love the country. I love the anti-communist bent. I, I just love them. Well, Poland wasn't really a thing during World War I, but the Polish people were and the Polish people were hardcore nationalists and wanted their own country. Period. End of story. Now, they didn't really get a ear from anyone like Russia and Britain and France. You know, those powers, they didn't really lend the Polish people an ear who were like, hey, can we have a country when this is done? Hey, if we fight for you, can we, do you, do you, would you give us a country? Well, Germany and Austria-Hungary seized on that during the war, and they said, hey, Poland, look, give us some troops, help us out, and maybe we'll help you out. To which Poland, who's not stupid, said, well, what does that mean, help you out? Because Poland wanted their own nation. That's the promise they wanted. You're going to help us out, right? And Germany says, I might. And Poland, Poland keeps going back. These are not stupid people, despite all the Polish jokes, you know. By the way, quick side note. Did you know the Polish people are stupid jokes? Did you know those jokes were actually started by the Nazis and then carried on by the extremely anti-Polish dirty communists in Russia? And the Soviet Union is the one who brought the Polish people are stupid jokes 
to Hollywood. They mainstreamed them here in America so it would turn the world kind of against Polish people. All right, be that as it may. Just a quick side note. Germany won't make the promises that Poland wants. So Poland doesn't necessarily fight with Germany. It's, it's, it's more complicated, but let me just say this. At the end of the war, end of World War I, they're working everything out. And the Allies realize, okay, we need, we need a Poland here. Now, why? Why would France and Britain and Russia have a Poland? Why would they want a Poland? You know what may help you understand that? We're going to do a little experiment right here on the radio, unless you're driving. I want you to pull up a map. I want you to look at geography. Look at Poland. And when we get back from this break, you tell me why they would want a Poland. Hang on. I'm reconsidering Bitcoin. I'll tell you why here in just a little bit. We got an email about Bitcoin. I'm reconsidering it. Don't cheer if you're one of these Bitcoin nut jobs and don't roll your eyes if you're one of the people who scoff at it. I'll explain what I'm going through here in a moment. Back to our story. Did you look at your map? It was a simple homework assignment. Did you look at the map? Why would France, Britain... Why would they want Poland? Why would they want Poland to be a thing? Remember what was happening in, the, in Russia at this point in time. This was the communist revolution. The communists had taken over the largest country on the planet. Don't ever discount how fearful the rest of Europe was about communism. They were already, I mean, they were fighting tooth and nail with their own people who were pushing socialism in France, they were really worried about communism. So we have all these Polish people, Polish nationals, they want a Poland. Okay, well, we'll give you a Poland right by Russia. That way, if those dirty commies turn out to be as filthy and violent and dirty as we think, you can go ahead and <clears throat> slow them down a bit on the way to us. Now, there's another thing you have to remember going into our brief little story today. And you and I have never experienced this. Well, I take that back. Someone in my audience, a lot of people have probably experienced this post-World War II in my audience. But I've never experienced it because I'm only 39. A massive world war. I'm not talking about just a normal war either. A massive world war. You know, we've had two of them. At the back end of those wars. This is going to come into play in our story today. Countries are broke financially. Countries are broken spiritually. They just, uh, you can't, uh, the numbers of young men of France and Britain and Germany, the numbers lost at the end of World War I were so staggering and had never been seen before. You're losing 20% of your male population. That's not, that's just not, that's not something you and I can even comprehend. So these are countries, again, broke financially and broken, meaning at this point in time, you have no more stomach for war with anyone. 
Now, what's going on in this kind of new, not new, I'm going to get emails, angry emails. It's too complicated to go into. In this country of Poland, well, Poland was struggling to get their feet under them. Remember, the world's economy wasn't doing great post-World War I initially, and then eventually we had the Roaring Twenties, but initially it wasn't doing great. The peasants in Poland had been ravaged by poverty and famine since 1914. And there was a huge societal rift in Poland between the rural peasants and the urban elites. That sound familiar at all? Huge, huge gap in between them. Now, the Soviets, well, what can we say? What are communists? You're a, you're a Jesse Kelly Show listener. What is communism? Is communism a political ideology? No, it's a religion of domination and destruction. The Soviets, had, the, the, the communists hadn't taken over the Soviet Union for 15 minutes before they looked at Poland and said to themselves, okay, well, let's go take it over. Without a second thought, it was let's go take it over. And remember, to them, it's their religion. They were evangelizing. They were simply evangelizing with the Red Army. In fact, I don't want to give away the end here, but had Poland not stopped them in the end, the Soviet Union, understand this, the initial communists, they had every intention of just taking this Red Army as far as they could possibly go to make sure everyone is a communist. Remember, communism must be for everyone. The Soviets build up troops and take off. Now, what is Poland dealing with as far as the military goes? It's, it's again, complicated, but I'll put it to you this way. They had very brave troops, many of them very well trained. The Polish economy, as I just pointed out briefly, wasn't exactly the best. And so what they didn't have was a lot of consistency when it comes to this unit has the same weapons as this unit, who has the same ammo as this unit, why does that stuff matter? Well, it matters a lot when it comes to supply. Poland had around 110,000 troops at this point. Soviets had about 150,000. But the Soviets had a gigantic advantage over Poland. What was that advantage? Cavalry and artillery. The Soviets had a lot more of both of them. Now, remember this about cavalry. You don't think about this as much now because all the cav units are all tank units. Horses, when it comes to combat, are all about speed. Horses give you speed. That matters a lot. You have a man on the battlefield. He can move at four or five miles an hour, maybe 10 for a very brief sprint. Or you have a horse that can run 30. Think about the difference in how fast I can move a unit here or cut you off from this. Cavalry is huge in combat. So how's this thing kick off? Well, the Soviets are building up troops on the border, so the Poles, in response, have to build up troops on the border. And here's one of those ironic, terrible things about life. If one side starts building up troops, you have to build up troops to protect yourself, right? You can't leave your border unsecured. However... Having two different troop buildups side by side almost always virtually guarantees combat. It's going to happen. Lo and behold, 
a border spat breaks out, and pow, this thing is on. This is called the Polish-Soviet War, in case you're wondering what this is. Most people don't even know the thing existed. We're about the year 1920 at this point. Poland, as they often do, acquitted themselves very, very, very well, especially early on. Poland goes charging in. Poland captures Kiev. And the Soviet Union, as they often are, was slow. It's huge and it's slow. Now, why does the Soviet Union, uh, before that it was Russia in World War I, why, why do they always have that reputation as being slow? Well, remember, how often do we look at a map? We do it a lot. Not because it's it's you know it's it's not because it's anything else but informative. It should tell you something you didn't already know. Just like you did before looking at Poland, pull up a map of Russia. Why do you think they're slow? You don't snap your fingers and teleport men to the front line. You must bring them there by horse, by train. It takes time for the Soviet Union to mobilize its forces and get them to where the actual fighting is. They've lost wars because of this before. The Russo-Japanese War, part of the reason they lost it is they couldn't get their men to the front in time for for Japan to, 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 to fight off Japan. Now, the Soviets get their butts kicked at first, but then they get their troop build up and they start battling back. Now... There are a lot of benefits to communism. Now, let me explain. Hold on. As you know, there's no one in the world who hates communism more than me. There are a lot of parts of it that give it inherent advantages. The relentless, always attacking, always destroying attitude and treating it like a religion, that's an advantage. It's hard to withstand that constant attack, right? How many times, how often now do you feel like you're being assaulted on all sides? You can't turn on the TV. You can't turn on the radio. You can't listen to the president. You can't listen to your teachers. It feels like it's coming from everywhere all the time, doesn't it? Because it is. That's an advantage. They have a built-in advantage like that. But like everything else, there are advantages and disadvantages. Communists, and this will be our saving grace in the end, communists have one gigantic glaring disadvantage. What is it? I'll tell you in a sec. Jesse Kelly show. We have that stud Lieutenant governor from North Carolina coming up in the second hour. Gosh, it's going to be great in about 20 minutes from now. I'm going to reveal to the current Jesse Kelly show listeners who my first guest is going to be on June 28th. You've heard of this person. I'll just leave it to you that way. I figure, you know what, what, what better way to say thank you Right off the bat. Now, before I get to the disadvantage communists have that affects them in this war, I do want to address something really quick. Jewish producer Chris said to me during the break, he said, did you see CNN brought Jeffrey Tubin back? Apparently he's their legal analyst, and he was before, and he got suspended 
for I think it was six or seven months. Uh, he was on a Zoom call with a bunch of coworkers, and <clears throat> see, it's a family show. It he did some things on the Zoom call that are really best left in private. Apparently, he didn't know the camera was on. I'm going to leave it there. I understand you're listening with your kids. It was really inappropriate, really, really not good at all. He gets let go. He gets brought back. Jewish producer Chris was marveling at him getting brought back, and it made me think of something. Of course, as you may imagine, it made me think of history. You understand what it was like right away under communism, right? Under communism, there were like 5,000 members of the Communist Party, and those guys had all the food, all the stuff. They They took all the money. It took a fortune to fund the wants of the 5,000 members of the Communist Party. The 5,000 members of the Communist Party consumed more resources than all the rest of Moscow combined. Now, how did people eat in the Soviet Union under communism? You were given rations. I mean, you can't buy anything, sell anything. There's fam, there's ter- You were given rations. Now, I'm getting this this ties into Tubin. Bear with me a moment. Now, what kind of rations? How much? I, I I'm I'm Joe Schmo, Mr. Communist. How, can I have my rations? I'm hungry. Well, it depends. What does it depend on? How useful are you to the system? What are you providing me? Oh, you're providing me. Necessary transportation so people can go to and fro. Please come here. Take your take your generous sum of rations. Oh, you, Bob, what do you do? Oh, you you sweep the floors? No, Bob, you don't get very much. You see, remember, to a communist, because a communist has no God, communist is his God, communism is his God, to a communist, you are only worth what you contribute to the system. Period. End of story. End of story. That's why That's why you see, uh, you know, black people are a great example. Or gay people. If a black person or a gay person leaves the left and comes out as being a supporter on the right, how are they treated by the left? What, what things have you seen said to them? I know what you see. I, I see it too. So many of these people are my friends. And you should see the, the things they show me in private. About what about the things that to the black guys? Oh, you're right, Chris. Telling, calling them Uncle Toms and just just unspeakable things. Why? Well, he's no longer useful to the to the communist system anymore. Therefore, he's totally scorned. Jeffrey Tubin got his job back, not because he's talented, not because of any other reason, but Jeffrey Tubin is useful to the system. So he got his rations. If Jeffrey Tubin had gotten in trouble and then came out as a conservative, he would have never darkened the doors of CNN again. Jeffrey Tubin did all the right moves, promised the system he'd be a good little boy, and the system welcomed him back because he's still useful to the system. It's not more complicated than that. Back to the Soviets, back to communism. Remember, their advantage is their relentlessness. They never sleep. They never rest. They, they live to dominate and destroy because it's their God. What's their disadvantage? They destroy each other. 
They destroy each other. And our communists are already doing this and will continue to do this too. They can't help it. They're such nasty, aggressive, destructive people. They wreck each other too. Trotsky and Stalin and Lenin, who are all in charge at this point in time, they're all fighting with each other and fighting with this general or that general and this general's army is fighting against that general's army. And I disagree. And we should attack here and we should do this and we should push back. It is a constant infighting problem for the Soviets, which they never got over, ever. Stalin came as close as anyone else, and that's just because he murdered everybody. But the Soviets did start pushing the Poles back. And they're pushing the Poles back, and they're pushing the Poles back. Lithuania, tiny little Lithuania, even jumps in to fight with the Soviets and fight against the Poles, and Poles, Poland's all, wait, what? Why? But it turns out Lithuania had lost some territory that from Poland they wanted back and thought they'd get it. Now, what's happening as Russia, as the dirty communists, are pushing through Poland and taking over Polish territory? Well, what have we talked about? They're doing two things. The Soviets are doing two things as they take over parts of Poland. One, they are severely, severely mistreating the Jews and the Christians they find. Communists hate Jews and Christians, remember that. Flat out executing them together in mass. That's one. Two, they're planting seeds of communist groups as they move along. But don't forget about that slaughtering Christians and Jews thing. We're going to come back to that in just a moment as I finish up our story. Now, they're closing in on Warsaw. Poland is on its heels. Things are looking dark. Poland has to start a draft. Poland asks Britain and France for help, and they don't get that much. What do I mean? Britain, at this point, they're still trying to figure out how to deal with this new communist country of the Soviet Union. So Britain's trying to open up trade and trade with these dirty commies. France, France is more helpful. France hates the communists too. France gives, you know, some tanks. Hey, you guys have some tanks and stuff like that. But again, remember from the beginning of our story, we're post-World War I. France is slaughtered. Their young men are dead. They're broke. They can't help more than that. So they send some tanks, and they essentially say, you're on your own. Now, the Soviets do hold up just short of Warsaw, because really by this point in time, they don't have the world's attention yet. And then, once again, they start to argue amongst themselves. Should we stop here? Do we keep going? Well, we all know what communists would do, right? You know exactly what communists would do. They decided to push. They got to Warsaw. But they were too fractured around Warsaw, too divided, two different armies. And the Poles, to their credit, they, even though they, history says they didn't know this, but the Poles decided they were going to go out like lions and they were going to launch a massive attack. They happened to choose by accident. All, all evidence points to it's by accident. They happened to choose the weakest part of the Soviet line to launch their attack. I know to this day, by the way, there are Christians throughout Poland who believe 
this was ordained by God. And right after it was done, they they all said it. Like, it was just national thought. Oh, God was on our side. It was that kind of thing. Who masses the perfect counterattack at the one spot the Soviets couldn't do anything about? The Poles go blowing through the Soviet line. The Soviets now have to try to retreat to reform up, but their retreat is a disaster. Why is the retreat a disaster for the Soviets? Why didn't it work? Well, pay attention. This is going to apply to us today. Hang on. The Jesse Kelly Show, 877-377-4373. Jesse at jessekellyshow.com. Our final show in this exact format. We're down for two weeks, building things up. And then June 28th, the brand new mega national show launches. Over 200 stations. It's going to be so fun. I'm going to get to your Ask Dr. Jesse questions in just a moment. Let's wrap up our story here. The Polish-Soviet War, the Poles' counterattack. This is called the Battle of Warsaw, by the way, but the the Poles' counterattack outside of Warsaw. They find a crack, blow through it in the Soviet lines, and the Soviets start retreating. Why are the Soviets having such a hard time on their retreat? I mean, they just cannot get it together. Why? Well, remember like 10 minutes ago we were talking about how the communists were treating the Christians and the Jews and the civilian population where they took over. They were supposed to be treating them as liberators, right? But communists can't help being communists, can they? So instead, there was a bunch of people getting shot in the face. That's what communists do. The civilian population, as the Soviet army was coming back through, heading the other direction begin to slaughter Soviet troops. The Polish civilians remembered. And I will say this, and I'm going to wrap up the history story here with this today as we move on to our Ask Dr. Jesse questions and we have a blast and we talk about everything else. I'm just going to say this. The American communists have enjoyed and are really enjoying at this point in time absolutely abusing people on the right. They certainly did it for four years under Trump. Now that Biden's in there, they're putting the whole system against you. You're a domestic terrorist. You're a Nazi white supremacist. You should be fired from your job. You should be doing all the things communists do. That shoe gets on the other foot one day. Take heart. People will remember. And it will come back. Now, let's move on to our Ask Dr. Jesse questions. I had one right off the bat. (laughs) Gosh. Dr. Jesse, how bad do you think the Joe Biden meeting with Putin is going to go? Joe Biden has this meeting upcoming with Vladimir Putin. How bad? 
I don't know. Joe Biden, as we saw in the debates, for small periods of time, Joe Biden can prepare for a meeting. The problem is Vladimir Putin doesn't have to assess Joe Biden during the meeting. He gets to assess that idiot all the time when he's behind the microphone. (laughs) Vladimir Putin has already assessed Joe Biden before they've even sat down. Look, we know how this meeting's going to go. It'll be fairly benign, to be honest with you. Putin will probably take some little jab at him because that's what Putin does. See how Biden reacts. No matter how Biden reacts, the American media is going to stand up and say, Biden, what, what, a, what a monster, what a lion for America. But we all know what's happening here. Vladimir Putin has already assessed America, and he likes what he sees, period. Now, on to one of the great Dr. Jesse questions I've ever gotten. Dr. J. Sombrero Steele Kelly. As someone who is 14,000 times more Native American than Elizabeth Warren, I have recently become very interested in my Cherokee heritage. My 14-year-old daughter and I have been doing some research, and she has also become very interested after a trip to Cherokee, North Carolina, a few years ago. We've been watching some documentaries and doing research on the topic, and I recently listened to an episode of Time Suck with Dan Cummins that covered the Trail of Tears. Not the best look for the country, to say the least. The kiddo and I fully understand the history of the world is, is, is more technologically and economically advanced peoples conquering other peoples. No issue there. However, my daughter and I are having a hard time rec- reconciling this question. How did some of the most patriotic, freedom and liberty-loving beasts of our country, Andrew Jackson, John Calhoun's, reconcile the treatment of natives only a few short decades after the ratification of the U.S. Constitution specifically freedom of religion and assembly. I know it's complicated, but help a brother out here. One, you have an awesome heritage. As everyone knows, I geek out on Indian tribes. Cherokees are one of my top five. Com- or, uh, Comanches, Sioux, Blackfeet, Cherokees, and probably Apache are probably my top five. So, you, I mean, of all the Indian tribes, yours is one of the coolest, if not the coolest out there. That's really cool. You study that with your daughter, by the way, one. Two, freedom of religion and assembly. Let's deal with that because that's, that's where the problem was for the relationship with the Indian tribes and the new Americans. We love the idea of freedom of religion, right? Because it makes us feel nice and makes us sound good. But the truth is simply this. When it came to the Indian tribes, and no matter how you feel about this, when it came to the Indian tribes, there was a religious thing that was going to cause problems no matter what. Let's talk about that. Hang on. You don't have to dip forever. You know that, right? You don't have to smoke forever. And the reason I say it like that is I have been that guy. I've been that guy. I dipped for so long. And what would happen is I would decide I'm going to quit. That's bad for me. I'm going to quit. I'm a man. I don't need any help. I'm just going to quit cold turkey. And I would fail time and time and time again. I tried things like the patch. That didn't work. Gum, sunflower seeds. I, I tried it all. 
It's just a matter of finding the right thing to help you quit. That's Jake's Mint Chew. Go, put in your dip. Just make sure it's Jake's Mint Chew. It's tobacco-free. It's nicotine-free. It's even sugar-free. And I highly recommend, just a personal choice, I highly recommend their CBD pouches because it really helps take that extra edge off. Get a jakesmintchew.com. That's jakesmintchew.com. Make sure you use the promo code JESSE at checkout. When you do that, you get 10% off. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., we dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.